Father, we give you thanks for another morning to gather, another opportunity to be together in a worship gathering as a community. And God, just like I pray every week, I pray the same thing, that you would take your word and that you would transform us and change us into the likeness of Jesus. God, for those who are here that love you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw us into deeper intimacy with you. God, for those who are here that don't know you, don't believe in you, don't like you, I pray that you would draw them one step closer to a place with you and Jesus. I pray that you would keep us teachable and humble to receive. God, I want to thank you how you've opened my eyes through the book of Ruth, a book, that, a book for a long time I've just kind of struggled with, trying to figure it out. And I feel like you're bringing some sweet things uh, from it. God, I thank you for the work that you've done so far. And we gather for the purpose to simply worship you. It's what we can give back to you. So God, I pray in this time that Holy Spirit, you would keep us engaged and focused and asking questions of you and interacting with you through the pages of your word. <clears throat> Convict us and encourage us whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. So since the end of, la uh, of chapter two, which we ended with last week, there's been a, at least two months have gone by. And we know that because, uh, because Ruth finished out the harvest season. And so that'd be about, uh, could be four to eight weeks, give or take, but not knowing how long from the end to the beginning of chapter three. So at least two months has gone by. This is how, it, how the chapter two ended. It said this, so she kept close to the young woman of Boaz. She would be Ruth, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. See, the same thing, day after day, doing the same thing, over and over, but she's under the protection of Boaz. Now, I know that maybe in this culture, it's not, well, I don't, I don't need no man, but in this culture, you definitely did. She was under the protection of a man who was also providing for her needs, that he looked and saw, hey, here's this Moabite woman. She's not even the, really, quote unquote, from the people of Israel, she's from a different nation, She's now been accepted and brought into a family with Naomi. Naomi would be her mother-in-law. Naomi lost her husband. Ruth lost her husband, which would be Naomi's son. They now live together. They're in Bethlehem. And Ruth is out trying to make a living, trying to find food to provide for her mother-in-law. Guys, in this day, in this culture, in the way that it was, for a woman to be left on her own, especially as a widow with no one to provide, a lot of times they would be left to beg unless there was someone else that would bring them in. And so we need to make sure that when we read in the pages of scriptures, we're not just reading it at 20, as 21st century Americans in North America. We need to approach the scriptures humbly and the parts that we don't get, we need to, we need to confess those things. Like this part doesn't make sense. So we get in the topic of kinsman redeemer. It doesn't make sense to us. This is not how we live and how we do things, but there are other cultures around the world who do. The world is a very populated place with a lot of different perspectives, and I'm so thankful that the Bible can really speak to all of them to bring them to a place of Jesus. A lot of times gospel messages can be about this, how to improve your life, how to do certain things so that your finances will go up, but how do I, how do I then take that message to a third world country that doesn't have the same kind of things that we have? And so he looked to the root, what is the gospel message in all of this? 
So again, if, if for those that say, I, I, I really struggle with the fact that she needed a kinsman, she needed a man. You need to pull back from your 21st century lens and go, wait, in this day and in this culture, man, this is a different time. She's now protected. She's provided for. She's not just left the out, the out parts of the harvest, but he's actually telling his workers, I want you to take some of what it is that you gathered and I want you to throw it down, leave it for her to pick it up. In other words, I think there's a little bit of interest and he's wanting to provide and yet there's this age difference and you'll see it when, he, when it is that he says later on in the passage. But he's looking out for her, which is kind of unheard of. He didn't have to. He could have just left her alone. But then there's this kinsman redeemer thing, and we'll get into that in just a second. And then Naomi comes up with the plan. <laughs> Naomi start, starts seeing, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this thing out. And you'll watch the statement that she makes. Look at verse one of chapter three. Then Naomi, her, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? In other words, shouldn't I find you a husband? So matchmaker I am. Anybody like this? Any parents here looking at your kids getting a little older going, I can help. I can help. Not only can I help, I will find you the perfect one that I like, that, that you love. She comes up with the plan. This is, this is what she says. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? In other words, you were working the fields with all the women that well, would be the servants, but all the women that were there that he was caring for. See, he is, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So here's what you need to do. You got to clean up. You got to clean up. So she says, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go in and cover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And I got to be honest, when I read this, I just sit there and go, you lost me at feet. I just don't picture that as the things like, oh, I just want him, to let him, I want him to let him know because I'm taking the advice of Naomi that I'm, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe we could be married and so I'm just gonna uncover your feet. And there's a whole lot of commentary on this and I don't know that it's appropriate to just go into all of us, but it was like, there's, there's also this idea of a sexual euphemism and, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, when you look at the character of Boaz and, Ru and Ruth, you don't see them going into that direction. And so what is it that actually is happening? But we'll get to that in just a second. But that word rest, and we looked at it last week, but let me, let me remind you of what that word rest in the Hebrew means. And the, the, I think the definitions will be up, up on the screen. The first is this, a resting place, a place where one can rest and recuperate from activity with the focus on the rest itself. The second is this, rest to be in a state of contentment and satisfaction. And last week we looked at this, this topic. What are you satisfied by? Or who is it you think that you're satisfied by? Because when I place my satisfaction on anyone, it's Kelly's like, oh, she brings me satisfaction. I'm satisfied because of her. It's not fair for me to place it on her because she's fallible. It's not her responsibility to bring me satisfaction. That is God's job. Jesus is supposed to be the only source of our satisfaction for he is perfect. And he is the only one that can truly be that source of satisfaction and contentment. And outside of that, nothing else will matter. You say, well, I like, there's other things I like to do. I'm not saying you can't like them, but when you try to find your satisfaction in them, then what happens when you can't do those things anymore? 
I bring this up often. Like when I was younger, I could play sports and my limbs were fine and my joints were fine and my back didn't hurt and I was fast. And then age attacked me. And now my joints hurt and my back gets a little sore and I've realized that when I play basketball with the youth, I need to play like the old man. Because when I try to play like them, every time I'll pull a calf muscle or I'll pull a hamstring, but then I gotta play, I'm like, no, I can do it, I'm like a man. Wobbling along, not able to do anything. But when I start playing like an old man, they can't keep up. Everything starts to change. So if all of a sudden my whole identity is based on, well, I used to be able to play these sports, and then when I can't, what's my identity? Then all of a sudden my identity is attacked, right? So when I'm not doing these things, then who am I or what am I? And I think it really goes back to who am I? Because if I'm, if, I'm def, if I'm defined by anything that I do or anyone else that I know, what happens if I don't have that relationship? Then who am I? This idea of contentment and satisfaction cannot be fulfilled by any other person or thing on the planet. It is only by Jesus. The next one is this, home, a resting place, an abode as a place where one lives and finds rest, which is where you what? You abide. And I always bring us back to this to learn to abide in Jesus. It's always gonna come back to him. So isn't it amazing that here is Naomi saying, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And part of me sits and goes, Naomi, Naomi, were you taking on a little bit more than you could actually deliver? Were you taking on this, it's a bigger bite, man. You can't do all this. Like you're actually gonna find her rest and contentment like it's your sole responsibility. But aren't we like that? Who are the fixers by nature? Anybody? It's like I'm a fixer. The problem, put your hands up, fix it, fix it. Yeah, be proud of that. There's an, and I'm not saying you don't ever try to fix things, but there are times where something will come up and the weight is too much for you and it is not your responsibility to take on all the weight, but to actually go back to Jesus who can handle all of it and to confess, I can only do this much and it's not failure, it's honesty. Do you see the difference? Wanting to help is beautiful. Needing to fix. All of a sudden, if you're, if you're known as the fixer and you can't fix it, is not your identity then tarnished? And is not your identity then in question because you don't know who you are because you couldn't fix the problem? Friends, I want us to move to a place where we know, hey, I can be content and I can be satisfied not by what I do, not by what I accomplish, not by the friends that I have, the people that I love, the, friend, the family that I've been entrusted with, but I can be satisfied first and foremost because I belong to Jesus. And everything's based upon Jesus. And therefore, when I'm loving Jesus most, I'll love those that God has entrusted to me best. I will not place on them more than they're supposed to have. I'm just gonna love them and serve them and let God handle all the satisfying parts in my life. It's not about anyone else or anything else. See, Naomi couldn't provide the rest for, for Ruth. She couldn't provide it. it wasn't, she couldn't really ultimately do it. But she could point her to the one who could. Now, I'm not sure that I would take a woman and say, okay, Ruth, that's what you need to clean up, do these things, no questions asked, go. Because, I mean, what is, we already know Ruth's personality in verse five, all that you say I'll do. It's like, well, okay, think a little bit. Think through this a little bit. But here's the question I have for you. One, 
Do you, do we, I'll put, I'll put we, I don't want this to ever sound like it's accusatory. Do we actually think through the advice that we give to people that they'll actually do it? Like if a person comes and asks, what should I do? And you actually tell them, have you ever stopped to think they might actually do exactly what you said they should do and the outcome is what? Or do we just jump at the first you want my advice? Boom, of course you do. I'm amazing. Boom, this is what I would do. Ultimately, you never would because you're too afraid to actually say the words that you're telling them to go tell somebody else. But you feel good when you get to tell them and then hear the story because you've created them a soap opera that they get to live through and you live vicariously through them. And all the while, you're the one that just stirred the pot. Guys, it is terrifying and humbling. And when somebody says, Hey, Brian, can I ask you a question? And no joke, almost 100% of the time and the times that I don't say it right when I hear it, I probably say it about four seconds and I say this, oh God, give me wisdom. Oh God, give me wisdom. In other words, if I have something to say, if you want me to say it, I'll say it. If not, I'll just shut up and look stupid. And if I come across stupid, it's fine because I really don't want anyone to say, I did what you said and man, everything unraveled. I want to make sure, God, I want to say what you're saying so that they're hearing what you want them to hear and doing what you want them to do and not just jumping automatically thinking that the way that I think is exactly how God thinks. Guys, I guarantee you when God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, he meant them for me and he meant those same words for you and that's why we need to constantly say, God, what do you want me to say? If anything. So just like Naomi could not provide rest for Ruth, watch this, I put this in my notes, we can't provide the rest that others long for, but we can bring them to the one who can. We can bring them to Jesus. See, it's in the New Testament also, in John chapter one, verses 35 to 42, listen to this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Verse 42, watch. He brought him to Jesus. Guys, there's something pretty beautiful about that. See, Andrew couldn't fix anything, couldn't fulfill anything, but what he did is he said this. We found the Messiah, so I, gotta, I have to go first to whom? My brother. I need to go to, okay, he's the first one on my mind. Either I just love the guy, or man, that guy needs him. Either way, I gotta get to him. Friends, when we leave here on a Sunday morning, does that ever pop in our minds? And not ultimately, oh, I gotta get into a worship service at Ignite City Church. Because there's no such thing as at Ignite City Church. We are Ignite City Church and we meet at Western. Or do we walk out here going, man, I gotta get him to Jesus. I gotta get him to Jesus. Does that person keep coming up in your mind? If not, maybe we should be asking, God, who's the one? Who's the one that I can bring to the Messiah? Who's the one that I can get to the Redeemer? Because yes, Naomi, I don't know that she gave the best words. Just do this, 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 kind of win him over. But her intent was right. I want to help her find rest. Shouldn't I seek rest for her? Like, should I look to care for her? So it can't just be me. I'm going to point her to whom? The Redeemer. 
the kinsman redeemer. My question is, do we know how to help someone meet their redeemer? Guys, I've told you this for a long time. Friends, I want us to move away from the norm that's been around for decades where we invite people to something. We just invite them to something. Don't get me wrong. Do I want to see anyone come to the worship gathering? Absolutely. But I would sure love to know that you told them about Jesus before they showed up. I think for too long it's been this. Just get them to the thing. And the person up front, the pro, the professional, they'll tell them about Jesus. And you know the danger of that? One, it leaves you thinking that you can't do it. Two, it robs you of the joy of telling people about Jesus. You can bring people to the Redeemer before they even step foot in a building. You can bring the reality of Christ to a person. You can because the Holy Spirit is in those of you who are followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you just like he's in me. And I may have a different role in this community, but the same power of the Holy Spirit that is at my disposal is at your disposal. I think we need to move away from always trying to find something to bring people to and simply go to them to introduce them and point them to where the Redeemer is. Do you see the difference? Because one of them is a lot more comfortable and the other one's a lot more obedient. This one, I can, I can invite people to something. This one, talking to people about Jesus, I better make sure I know him. I better make sure I can point people to him and the truth of who he is and what he says and what he's done and what he's done in my life. And am I engaged with him in relationship or is it just they've got to get saved? Friends, we all can do this. No matter what age, no matter what stage you are in walking with Christ, every single one of us are called to be disciple makers. She points him to the Redeemer, and we are called to point people to the Redeemer, just to be like Andrew, and it could be someone that you know. Just start there. Brian, that's actually more terrifying, because I have to keep that relationship with him. I know, I know, it's terrifying. But friends, I can tell you, the more you do it, I promise you this, the more you do it, the more bold God will make you. How do I know? Guys, two years ago, I started a D group. And I'm in my second one now, leading it. And before that, this is where I lived. I lived in this world of, well, I'm the preacher and I'm always being bold behind the pulpit or the music stand or whatever's here, the table. This is where I'm bold and this is where I present the gospel. Father, friends, I'm not called to be just the pastor. I'm called to be a disciple who goes out and makes disciples so I remember when I was like, okay, so I'm reading this book. And it's like, this is what they do in theirs. I'm like, man, this sounds fantastic. Except that part where you have to answer the question, how did you do it sharing Jesus this week? You have to answer the question every single week because it means you have to do it every single week. And there'd be a couple of times like, I didn't do it. But it's crazy when you actually go for it and just try to find ways into people's lives and to hear their stories. It's crazy. As you just ask questions, people just open up. Not everyone, from whatever we read or see on TV or in the news or whatever, not everyone responds to Christians with just this hatred. And so this past Sunday, I'm on a walk. 
in the afternoon, there's always this, I see this guy walking all over the place. And for the most, for the, for the most of the time that I've seen him, he's always by himself, but now he's dragging around this pit bull. And what I mean by dragging, he's dragging. This thing's not one to go. He's like, Burr. and the guy just keeps walking. He's like, Burr. and so I, I walked up and I said, hey, is your pit bull nice? Because that's the first question everybody asks a pit bull owner. I said, could I pet your pit, your pit bull? He goes, oh, he's super nice. He just likes to jump on people. I was like, well, you haven't met Bella, my, my dog. And so we're fine. I'm used to this. And so I get down and all of a sudden, boom, he's right in my face. He's just all happy. So here's Blue. That's his name, Blue. Which is gray, so I didn't understand that, but there's Blue. I said, hey, what's your name? He goes, I mean, hey, my name is Will. I said, hey, I'm walking. And could I, which is obvious, but I'm, I'm walking. Could I pray for you about anything while I'm on my walk? He goes, Seriously? I said, yes, seriously. He goes, that's incredible. I said, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I feel very good about myself. He goes, that is so rad that you're doing that. I'm like, thanks. I said, do you know the Lord? Are you a follower of Jesus? He goes, I am. Back in 1996, I gave my life to the Lord. Then all of a sudden, he just starts telling me about his life. You're like, well, Brian, he's already saved. I didn't know. It's not like he's like on his, on his forehead. I just go for it. And all of a sudden, like, I want to I wanna hang out with Will. I mean, leave blue, because I don't want something up in my face. But, like, I want to hang out with you. And so I said, hey, is there anything I pray about? He goes, this is what I, I think this is so incredible, because I'm reading the scriptures, and I'm going, man, things are getting weird, and this is how we're going to change things, by just doing what you're doing. And I went, dang, I really like you. You make me feel great. It was just as simple as this. Hey, is your dog nice? And then keep going. And keep going and to see where it goes. Friends, are you telling me that you can't ask that question? Now, if they don't have a dog, don't ask it. It's weird. <laughs> if they're not walking a dog, you go, hey, is your dog nice? Hi, love. If you're doing that, I would run from you. But if they have one, ask, hey, could I pet your dog? I don't like dogs. Suck it up. Put on a glove. I don't care. At least something that opens the door. Because it is, isn't it amazing that in the book of Acts, the Lord added daily those who are being saved because a bunch of people who met in homes went out into communities to make sure they knew about Jesus. They engaged them. They helped them. They cared for them. Guys, that's all that's happening here. You got to get to the Redeemer you got to get to the Redeemer, not just something, but let me help you. Let me point you to someone. And I think Ruth's response in verse 5, all that you say I will do, what a beautiful relationship the two of them had because Ruth had this trust in Naomi. But we've looked at Ruth and her response and how she's been. Friends, this character in her is incredible because it's just faith. It's just this simple faith. It's like our response. What, it should, what should my response be to Jesus? I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. There's something about her character that I'm just so blown away by. We get to verse 6 and 7. It says this. So she went down to the threshing floor and did, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Why would he do that? Because in this day, in this culture... If he works all day in order to protect it, he sleeps next to it. So that's what he's doing. Then she came and softly uncovered his feet and lay down. Uncovered his feet 
and then just took a nap next to his feet. Weird? Yeah. Anybody not a foot person? Anyone look, at, anyone look at your feet going, I don't like those either. You definitely don't like other people's feet, but your feet, still don't like them. Uncovers his feet, lay down. So, as I read, as I read one commentary, it said this, the uncovering of his feet. In that culture, this was understood as an act of total submission. Total submission. Uncovers his feet. Boom. Total submission. The laying down part, well, this is understood as the role of a servant to lay at the master's feet. Whatever it is that you want, I'll do. I know, it's pretty, pretty powerful. <laughs> so my question is this. So here she comes, total submission. I'm the servant. I mean, she's referred to herself as that since she's known him. My question is this. Do we come to Jesus with the same mentality? Total submission. Total submission. How do I know what he wants me to do? Here we go. Get our faces back in the book. Brian, there's parts I don't like. Me too. Why? Because it confronts me on the things I need to change. Rather than trying to change the word of God, what if we just simply obey and submit to God who wrote it? Do I come to him in total submission, understanding my role as a servant of Jesus? In other words, I don't give him my opinions as to why I shouldn't have to do it, he says. I actually go to him and say, whatever you want, because you're the master. See, and if you're in the Bible reading plan, we had a memory verse this week. It's in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. And I was driving to our D group, and I, I was thinking through it. I seriously, this, pop, this thought popped in my head. It came. Just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, the master. Friends, this following Christ, it's not just say some prayers, accept Jesus into your life, and then you can live however you want and call on him to help you out with stuff. Guys, that's not how I, I didn't receive Jesus that way. First of all, the fact I received him means I didn't find him. He gave himself. The faith necessary to believe in Jesus, God gave to me. So he gets all the credit for my knowing him. But to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Isn't that what he says in Romans? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a submission to the Lordship of Jesus. There's a submission to him being master. And servants are not called to give the master opinions but to be obedient and think about it. God, who's perfect and knows all things, why does he need my opinions on anything? And isn't he a good and gracious and wonderful God? And because he is that, to submit to him, as much as my flesh might push against it, I have these sinful desires push up against it, I still want to submit to him because he is greater, he's best, and what he has to offer me is ultimately that which brings me what? Satisfaction. He's Lord. He's not my servant. He's in charge. Guys, surrendering to Jesus is to confess him as Lord to receive his gift of salvation, to submit to him, not just confess him, but to submit to his lordship, and then to obey and follow him. 
And then to think the first and greatest commandment of God is what? Love him. Think about it. Out of anything that God could say, he's like, I just want you to love me with everything you got. And then I want you to love people. Start there. That's the God we worship and serve and follow. So I wrote this question in my notes, and I know that it might come across as a little bit... "Mm." I don't even know the word to put it. I asked this. Are you a follower of Christ or merely a Christian? And like, whoa, whoa. I can't stand when you bring that up. I have to ask the question, why? Because today, Christian means what? If I was to ask you, what's a Christian? Can you even define it? We have people that believe anything and everything, and so long as they can find a verse to back up a thought... Just one verse, but even take it out of context. Or don't even use the Bible, just say, I'm a Christian, but I know that God is still revealing. This is old truth, and God is revealing new truth, and I'm still a Christian. But there's actually people that have a belief that they're followers of Christ, but think that Jesus is no different than us. He was on a truth journey, just like we're on a truth journey, and the truth that he received, that was for him, and we're on the same journey. And I look at that and say, how is that, how is that a Christ follower if you make yourself equal to Christ? I'm not asking if you're a Christian. I'm asking if you're a follower of Christ. For Christian, the name Christian came out of people making fun of those who were followers of Christ. So I can say, let's redeem the word. If you want to redeem the word Christian, fine. But let's make sure we're actually pointing them to what it actually is supposed to be. Christ follower, which one are you? To verse eight. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, rightfully so. If you went to bed with your feet covered and you wake up with them uncovered and some woman laying at your feet, that's awkward. And it's midnight, so it's not like it's totally light out. You can't see who it is. So he startled, rode over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Verse 9, he said, who are you? And she answered, watch it. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I have never in my life ever thought of using that phrase with another person. Hey, I'm Brian. Now spread your wings Guys, that just sounds, can you imagine me actually talking to people like that? Can you imagine those words coming? That's not how I talk. So is there something that she's saying? Spread your wings over your servant for your, for your redeemer. First, what Ruth is doing here is pretty much saying this, and this is bold. It's like she's saying, I'm a widow. Take me as your wife. Whoa. And I feel like that would cause most men to run today. Commitment? Uh-uh. The second, spread your wings over your servant. Do you realize that in the East, this was and is symbolic. It's a symbolic action denoting protection. It still still happens today. At all weddings of the modern Jews and Hindus, one part of the ceremony is this. The The bridegroom puts a silken or cotton cloak around his bride. He's saying, you are coming under my protection. Again, we can look and go, ah, 21st century, America, guys, We are not, this is not the only place on the planet 
And our perspectives and cultures are not the only ones on the planet. And honestly, some of them might be wrong. What she says, I want to come under your protection. Guys, do you realize that even in Psalm 91 verse 4, from the New Living Translation, it says this, he, speaking of God, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Okay, she goes to the kinsman redeemer for what? Protection. And we go to Jesus for what? Protection. Brian, I can handle it. No, you can't. You don't know me. I know, but you can't. Because Jesus has said, you, can do it. you can't do anything without me. Like, we can't face this life alone. And once we can confess that, you know what comes? Freedom. I don't have to play the part. I don't have to fake it till I make it. No, you can just confess. I can't do this alone, God. I can't do this by myself. And at that moment, realize you are more powerful in that moment than before. Why? How, how is confessing my weakness or my inability to make me stronger? Because you're going to the God who has no limits. He has no weaknesses. God, I can't do this. And he goes, yeah, perfect. Now let's do it. Or why don't you come with me and watch what I'm going to do? Okay, but Brian, you say there's protection, but there's still bad things that have happened. And there's bad things that are happening to people all over the world. And there's bad things happening to Christians, followers of Jesus. Are you telling me that God's protecting? Isn't it amazing that our limited perspective think that we, that from our limited perspectives, we actually think we have the, the whole story? Guys, you imagine what, what life would look like if God pulled out completely. If God pulled every, every bit of protection out, do we really see a society and culture that's really just truly caring about one another, loving each other, not being selfish? Do we really see that? If God pulled out for a day, what would happen? Also, as we've looked at, hey, struggles and trials and all these tribulations that we go through, true or false, God is using those for our good. We just, don't, we, we just might not see the good in it yet. And so before we come jump into these conclusions of because I don't see it, therefore it's not true, friends, we've got to pull back and go, maybe my perspective's limited because I've only lived to right now and I can only see so far and none of it sees into the future. So the spreading of the wings, it's symbolic. It's, still, it's actually still shown up today. The third is this, responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer. There are four, four main responsibilities for the kinsman redeemer in this time. The first is this, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. The second, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to be, to be the avenger of blood, to make sure the murderer of a family member answered to the crime. The third is the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy back family land that had been, that had been forfeited, and the fourth is this, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. So here's Boaz. He's in line as a kinsman redeemer. Ruth goes to him because Naomi said, you need to go. You need to go to him and do these things. And friends, she had every right to say, you need to do this. This is a right that I have. I was married to Ahimelech, and I'm not, he died, but we're supposed to carry on the family name. And there was a responsibility that the Redeemer had, and if he says, I'm not gonna do this, and there was this whole ceremony that was a little bit weird and a little bit awkward, we'll get into that in a little bit, 
or not this week, but probably next. It was just weird and awkward, but he could say no, but it was kind of frowned on and he was shamed. But she doesn't come that way. She comes humbly as a servant. She comes to the kinsman redeemer as a protector and a provider. And her example to us is we come to Jesus the same way. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse three. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Deuteronomy 31, six. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Guys, how can I sit there and go, how can I not be afraid? Some of you are facing things that are so terrifying and they're so hard and you're sitting there going, God, how can I actually look at this thing and not be afraid of it? You haven't fixed it. It's not done. You ever prayed like that? Oh, I can't pray like that. Pray like that. Read the Psalms and look at how honest the psalmists are with God. But how could I actually approach something and not be afraid of it? The only way that I can approach something, someone, a circumstance, a situation without being afraid is that I actually have an understanding of who God is. Do you see how it always comes back to him? What does he say? He says, fear not for what? You're going to make it. No, no, no. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Then back to him for I am your God. Well, God, what are you going to do about it? I will strengthen you. Guys, what if you have to face whatever you're facing for a season that seems too long. I promise you this. I can't promise, I can't promise that God will fix it tomorrow. But I can promise you that God will strengthen you for it tomorrow. He says, I will. That's a promise. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Why would he throw righteous in there? Because all of his ways are right. I will do this. Guys, that's the God of the universe saying, I will do these. I promise. I will do these things for you. And to think that he's with you. Friends, there's something freeing about living under the protection of God. When you can hear God say, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. As we close up the passage, starting verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Do you see all of a sudden he's going, I don't look like the young ones. I'm a little older. He says, and now my daughter, do not fear. Watch, 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 watch. I will do for all, I will do for you all that you ask. Isn't that just what we looked at? There's just something freeing when you hear God say, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Isn't that what the kinsman redeemer is saying? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I will, do, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that what? You are a worthy woman. You're a woman of valor. You're a woman, woman of character. 
Like they know you. Verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning if he will redeem you good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. In other words, we're going to take care of this. That one phrase, I will lay down until morning, or lie down until morning. In other words, rest, rest. And maybe for some of you, you need to hear Jesus say, I just need you to do me a favor. Just lie down, lie down. You've been going 100 miles an hour, nonstop, trying to fix it. Lie down for just a second. I'll take care of it. Now he may say, get up and I need you to do these certain things, but the first things you need to stop, be still and know that he is God. But friends, can I also remind you, there is a redeemer closer than I. Friends, I do not ever want to come across this way. I don't want this to be a church that thinks this because there are a lot of places they put the pastor on this pedestal and whatever he says goes, like that's it. Like he's the man, he's anointed, he's the anointed of God and he's speaking the very words of God and I mean, he doesn't sin. He doesn't struggle with sin. I mean, he's got it all, he's perfect. I mean, I preach from the floor. Not symbol, maybe there's some symbolism. I think it's just because I'd be too high and look like a giant up there. But I do, guys, I'm just like us. I'm just, I'm just have the role of shepherd. I don't need you to get people here to hear me. I need you to get them to a redeemer who's closer than I. And I'm gonna get them to a redeemer that's closer than I am. I wanna reach people that they would know Jesus. Friends, there is a redeemer that is closer to us than anyone my question is, do you know him? Have you met him? Have you surrendered to him? And you may say, well, all these circumstances in my life are what keep me from him. Friends, I'm gonna tell you, if that's honestly the thing that's keeping you from him, he never said it would go perfect. In our idea of perfection, he actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be encouraged, I've overcome the world. He never said, it's always gonna be comfortable. But he said, I'll be with you, I'll strengthen you, I'll uphold you. As the worship team comes back up, let me just read a few verses. Because of him, and because he's the only redeemer, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13, for I, the Lord your God, hold your hand it is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. See, it always comes back to God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Does it apply to anyone yet? 
be strong. What if I'm not strong enough? Maybe you're just supposed to be as strong as you can right now. For those who are anxious of heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, watch what he says. Your God will come with vengeance. You're like, that's a mean verse. He's right in everything that he does. Your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Guys, you know the hardest part in those verses is the word will. I say, wait, wait, wait. That's the promise, I know. But it's also the word that means I'm going to have to wait. True? Like he's going, I will do this. I'm not doing it now. I haven't taken care of it, finished it now. But I will. Because Jesus is our nearest and only redeemer, we come back to the passage that we started with last week. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, there's still a yoke to carry. But compared to life without Jesus, Jesus says comparatively, especially if it's just religious jargon, which is the context of that verse, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because I don't think that the purpose of walking with God is that you can carry his stuff. We're not the people that we're not the people that are used like we're not just packing in the stuff of Jesus because we're on a hike. We're actually supposed to cast all of our cares on Him because He cares for us that we can just walk with Him. Can I pray for us? God, you've invited us. You've invited us to rest. You've revealed who you are. You've told us to not be afraid. And God, you know it's hard. Jesus in the garden, you were so afraid of the cross that you sweat drops of blood. You were so terrified it was coming, but then you were not afraid. You chose. God, you, Jesus, you still went forward. You obeyed. Thank you. Jesus, thank you that you relate with us. You understand us. Father, for those who are going through it, Father, I pray that the verses that were read over them, that they could receive them as truth. God, for those who are here that don't know you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd bring them to a place of conviction that they would confess Jesus as, Father, you draw them to your Son. God, I thank you for your goodness, and we might not understand what you're doing or why things are happening, but I'm so thankful for what's in the word will. The promise and the promise of your presence in the waiting. As we sing this last song together as community today, as we sing this praise song to you, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.